The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. you now turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6 as we look at the first four verses, the parenting verses of Paul's uh, direction to various authority structures in, in the home and in the community. I've been married 15 years. I've been a parent for almost 14 years. I've said it before and say it again that marriage, I found, is Sanctification 101. Parenting is sanctification 201. It's a bit of a step up. Marriage is a mirror that reveals our flaws, that need to be corrected. Parenting is like a performance stress test on a treadmill that reveals the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses of one's heart. Parenting certainly exposes one's weaknesses. And many parents will testify to being brought to their knees in desperation and dependence upon God during seasons of trial and stress. Our call tonight from the Apostle is to remember that we need the power of Christ. That we need the healing power of the gospel to not only restore our sin-sick heart, but also to engage and equip and help children to find grace and hope through the message of Christ revealed in the gospel. Let's read Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let us pray. Father, we would ask that tonight, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Back in the October of 2011, I took my family up to Forest Hills, New York, uh, to help some friends of mine from Covenant Seminary, Michael and Roseanne Kitka, who have planted a church in Forest Hills, And every October, their church plant does an outreach that coincides with a community street fair. And so you have tens of thousands of people all across Forest Hills, Queens, New York. And food and events and music. And uh, this church sets up a booth to provide activities for children. Face painting and games to 
offer food and water to have uh, to hand out literature inviting people to the holiday season services that they use for outreach in November and in December. And while we were there in the middle of the day, my wife decided to take our children a couple blocks away to visit McDonald's. And while she was ordering the food, she was approached by a woman who asked her if she had a small child about the age of two. She said yes. And the lady proceeded to inform my wife that that child had just ran out the door. So my wife, making counting heads where there were only five, uh, with one missing. So she very quickly went out the door and searched for our youngest and could not find him on very, very busy streets of Forest Hills. Not being able to find him, she decided to send our oldest son to, to get me. And my son TJ came to find me at the booth, and of course I very quickly flew to the McDonald's to meet my wife, understand the story, and having left my wife there with the kids, I went and searched for my son. Thoughts that go through your mind. The fears that invade your heart when your child is missing is nothing short of desperation. And as I prayed and as I searched, God gave me grace to think clearly and to search for some authorities. And I made my way to an informational booth in the main square, and I noticed some police officers. And as I approached them, I soon identified my son, who was in the arms of one of the police officers. Now, any of my other five children would have been bawling hysterically would have been holding out their arms to receive daddy, but not this one. This one had a very smug look on his face, as if to say, oh, there you are. Where have you been? Well, I thanked the officers and promptly returned my child to his very relieved mother. As I reflected upon that incident, uh, it's clear to me that, that leashes and invisible fence for children are not a bad idea. We sing the popular hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in the final stanza, the hymn writer offers these words, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O take, and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You and I are born wanderers. We are lost sheep who need to be found. And when it comes to the job of parenting as weak, fallen creatures, the task of parenting reveals major cracks in our broken hearts. It exposes our weaknesses and our flaws. And we are reminded as parents that we are indeed lost and need a good shepherd to find us. Parents have been entrusted with an incredible responsibility. But the biggest challenge, I believe, is to first admit how weak and helpless we are. How much we lack control and how desperately we need to learn to trust God, who is our Father and intends our good and the eternal good of our own children. Tonight, I'd like to first address the apostles' charge to children. And then consider his charge to fathers and mothers. And then I'd like to apply it by offering you my own ABCs of parenting. Children are a blessing. A blessing from God. They are not carbon footprints. 
the biblical vision of human beings and children in particular are that, that people are ultimately producers more than they are consumers. And Paul affirms that the positive biblical vision towards children and offers us practical application regarding the authority structures God has set up in marriage, in family, in society. And he directs children to obey their parents for this is right. This is God's instruction. His design for the proper care and training of young, vulnerable, impressionable children born into this world. It's clear that a child's disobedience to his or her parents is a sin against God. And so one of the first responsibilities of a parent is to teach their children to obey them. A parent's neglect of this important instruction is to dishonor the Lord and also expose that child to the threat of God's judgment. Children who go astray, out of disrespect for their parents' authority, wander into destructive paths, as we have witnessed most horrifically this past week by two brothers who brought destruction upon the city of Boston. And yet, parents who have been given authority are not to lord it over their children, but to recognize first and foremost that they have authority on loan from God, that they are ultimately subject to God, even as it says to children, obey your parents in the Lord, recognizing that the Lord is the ultimate authority. And in this instruction, parents are called to discipline their children, directing them ultimately to obey and trust the Lord their God. Now you'll notice a distinction in Paul's language from verse 1 to verse 2. He says, children, obey your parents. And then in verse 2, he, in quoting the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. I believe the distinction has to do with one station in life. It's obvious that young children who are still under their parents' authority are to obey them. But as a child grows and matures and leaves the home, they establish authority structure of their own. It says in Genesis 2 that a man will leave his father and mother, cleave fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so the principle of honor, as found in the fifth commandment, is a principle that applies to all of life. Regardless of age, regardless of station in life, regardless of circumstances or spiritual condition of one's parent, every one of us are called to honor our parents. And that may look different depending upon one's age or station in life. A young adult may not necessarily obey everything their parents tell them, but he or she is always called to honor them to respect them, to, to bear the family name in a respectful way that does not bring shame or disgrace upon the parents, but ultimately demonstrates responsibility and respect and a submiss- submissive attitude. But as one grows older, the, the understanding of honor may change. As the child and parent relationship grows and changes, especially as the parents age, they become weak in body and mind and depend more upon an adult child to help care for them. I recall when I was about eight or nine years old, my family traveled to Atlanta, Georgia to celebrate the 50th wedding anniversary of my father's parents. 
And during the, the main celebration and throughout the weekend, we, we noticed how my grandmother was very condescending towards my grandfather. Would say rude and disrespectful things, things that were unacceptable and quite embarrassing. And these were really out of character of my grandmother, who had a very sweet disposition. Well, I believe it was after we got back home that my father was so burdened with what we had experienced, he wrote a letter of rebuke to his own mother, expressing his disappointment, expressing what was inappropriate about what she had said about her husband and his father. The following weeks, there all kinds of drama uh, unfolded in the family, and it was a very hard and painful time. But it, it took several months and even the better part of a year for us to realize that my grandmother was increasingly showing the signs of Alzheimer's before we had an official medical diagnosis. And as we began to understand this disease, we learned the nature of this disease as it afflicts the brain can bring down those, those social cues and restraints, and it's very common for people to come across irritable, rude, and disrespectful. Well, my father's role in honoring his parents only grew from there. As he and his brother increasingly had to help provide for an aging mother and father and help them make decisions, and some, at sometimes making difficult decisions that meant limiting their freedom, about living independently in their home the freedom to drive their own automobile, sometimes against their will, but in an effort to do what was God-honoring, to preserve the dignity and care of their parents in a way that was pleasing to God and truly did honor them, seeking to do what was best for them. Paul moves on in verse 4 to address fathers, and in these words offers something that convicts the hearts of many of us who are guilty of these very things. Men, fathers, myself included, are notoriously short-tempered, getting easily irritated by the demands of our children. A man will walk into the chaos of his own home, loud and disorderly and disruptive, and is easily tempted to use harsh and sinful words to suppress the chaos. Perhaps you observed a a year ago, I noticed an online video of a father who was quite frustrated with his teen daughter, so much so that he took her laptop computer outside and videotaped himself shooting it with a gun and then posted that video online for the world to see. And in short time, this father and daughter were rewarded with an appearance on a talk show where they tried to work out their differences and tell their story. I don't know the results of that father-daughter relationship. I can say that I do not recommend that approach, nor anything else that would shame or humiliate one's child, regardless of his or her behavior. Scripture consistently exhorts fathers to exercise patience, self-control, long-suffering, even when that requires firmness and confrontation. Fathers and mothers can provoke their children to sinful anger, sometimes by excessive control, perhaps driven by fear. 
worried about the world, worried about threats to their own children, and can inadvertently suffocate a child who is growing and learning and wanting to express more independence and freedom in their choices. It's only natural for an adolescent or a teenager, a young adult, who has been well-trained, who has been prepared to increasingly make decisions for themselves to learn from their failures, hopefully with parents who are there to help protect them, correct them, and to guide them towards godly maturity. But parents can also be guilty of provoking their children to sinful anger by way of passive neglect. Sadly, we live in a day and age where many parents have gone AWOL, perhaps in the idol of pursuing material gain, perhaps by assuming others will take over the care of their own children, family, the nanny state, or others on whom our children become an increasing burden. It's a sinful thing when parents refuse to take responsibility of their own children. And a child left to his or herself without the proper care and engagement of the parents is quite is vulnerable to the destructive influences of peers, of media, and even their own sinful hearts. And so we need to be weary of provoking our children to anger by way of harshness, by way of neglect, or by other misuses of our responsibility and authority that God has given to us. In contrast to provoking our children to anger, the apostle exhorts parents to raise up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fish and reptiles are born with innate understanding of how to live. They don't need their parents to show them how to be a fish or a snake, or an alligator. However, in the, elsewhere in the animal kingdom, birds and mammals oftentimes require the care of parents in training their young unto maturity. How much more so is the crown of God's creation, men and women made in God's image, needful of proper parenting, of discipline, training, and instruction? And in this short, pithy statement, Paul is drawing upon the, the, the example of the Greco-Roman world, where you would have Greco-Roman fathers who would train and discipline their own legitimate sons, born of their wife, but oftentimes would neglect their illegitimate children born to other women. And Greco-Roman pagan fathers would do this because they wanted an heir, a son, to inherit the estate to pass on the family name. So he needed to be restrained, corrected, disciplined, trained, and educated in a way that would honor him and not bring disgrace upon the family name. Elsewhere, we get instruction from Hebrews 12, where the author reminds us that, that when God disciplines us, he disciplines us as sons. We are not orphans. We are not illegitimate. We are not left, lost, or neglected by God. And in that example from God, it's an exhortation to parents, Christian parents, to discipline and train their children in a way that honors God and helps prepare and equip those children to not just bear our name, but to bear the name of Christ, to be his witnesses 
in a lost and dark world. With that instruction from the Apostle Paul, I'd like to apply these verses by offering you my ABCs of parenting. And this acronym I offer to you is in three parts. That parenting requires the showing of affection, the use of good boundaries, and pointing our children to Christ. Not just 48 hours ago, I witnessed the birth of my seventh child. An awesome and glorious, beautiful gift from God. As I'm receiving this child, this helpless little babe, who is beautiful and glorious in all of his newness and freshness, I'm just reminded how children are precious and how it is only natural for us to be tender, to show them affection. Nurses come in and children and visitors all come in and just naturally want to dote on a newborn child. We are hardwired to show affection to anything that's small and cute. It's the instinct that God has put in us that reflects his heart for those who are weak and needful. We change our tone of voice around children. The songs we sing to children are different from the way we sing for adults. In Zephaniah 3.17, the prophet tells us that the Lord will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing, like a father with a newborn child. Parents are called to show affection, to offer praise and encouragement to their children. Parents cheer their children on when they take their first steps. Learn to ride a bicycle, hit a baseball, play the piano at a recital, take the keys to drive the car, receive their diploma, to walk her down the aisle. It's only natural for us to show affection, to offer praise and encouragement to our children as they develop. Sadly, there are those parents who choose to intentionally withhold praise from their children, fearing that somehow praise and encouragement will leave, lead their children to have a big head. I have found that not to be the case. I have found that people need lots of encouragement. Many discouraging things happen in this world, and we need to be positive, to be encouraging, to be hopeful. And for a parent to offer proper praise and proper correction usually prevents that child from developing a chip on his or her shoulder. Affection also requires us to show empathy. I remind parents that we bring a child into a very scary world, a broken world a sin-filled world. And we've brought this child under the care of very flawed parents. Show empathy to your children. Your child is born with a sin nature. Children are not born as little angels. They're more like vipers in diapers. And they have a nature that needs correction and the grace of Christ. 
Psalm 103 speaks to me often where it says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. We are weak. We are flawed. We are battered and broken by a cursed world. And we need empathy. We need encouragement and affection. Children are not born to fulfill our dreams. They are not born into this world to feed our idols. They are born in this world to fulfill God's purpose for them. And our job as parents is to encourage them to help them find that purpose and that calling, to serve and to pursue it well. We must not live vicariously through our children. We must be aware of having burdening expectations for them and let them develop the gifts and the talents that God has given them. In our home, we have nicknames for our children. We lovingly tease our children. We sing songs to our children. At every birthday in our household, we set a time around the dinner table to have everyone say something positive and encouraging about the birthday boy or girl. What we appreciate about wanting to have a healthy culture that's positive to build each other up in the Lord. Well, not only do children need affection, they also need good boundaries. Wise parents have physical boundaries to protect their children from the dangers of streets, from the dangers of falling down stairs, from picking up sharp objects or putting small things into their mouths. Likewise, children need moral boundaries. With parents giving very clear expectations for obedience, as well as expelling out the consequences for disobedience. It's a parent's job to set the boundary, and it's the child's job to test the boundary. We erect the walls, and the child tries to wreck the walls to make sure that it is firm and set and where it is supposed to be. Good neighbors know where the property line is and respect it. So children and parents must have that understanding of where the boundary is. And what is oftentimes hard for parents is being consistent with that, of enforcing that, and can easily get worn down by a testing child, remaining gentle but firm and not yielding to the sinful demands of a child will pay off in the end. Because we have seen it over and over in our own experiences. That the, the giving in to the screaming fit of a child in a toy store will only yield the results that the child learns. That if I demand my way, I get what I want. And so every parent needs to learn to overcome their fear of man to want to please God more than please the immediate desire of a child. As parents, we have to overcome our own laziness. We have to die to ourselves and our own desires. We have to learn new vocabulary, such as the magical word, no. Perhaps you've seen it in your own family. In my extended family, there is a situation where a child walks all over the word no. 
few years ago had a, had a family get-together, and it was very evident that problem child. He posed a challenge to the rest of the family. And as I observed the dynamic of child and parents, the parents were largely trying to ignore the problem. But they could only ignore it so long until the tension and the irritation built up that the parents finally blew up at the child. And it was sadly evident to me that although the rest of the family focused on the child as a problem, difficult child, the problem really was the parents failing to show affection, neglecting the need to enforce boundaries with the child that God had entrusted to them. And if that goes uncorrected, this child will be a problem to them and to others without proper training. Surely there are are situations of strong-willed children and special needs children where modifications need to be made. And yet I believe the principle still is applied that each and every child needs affection and boundaries, regularly renewed and reinforced by God-fearing parents. But above affection and boundaries, there is a greater need. A greater need than the love that a parent can offer, the greater need than any rules or boundaries can establish. The child ultimately needs a Savior. Each and every one of our children needs Christ. And it's the Christian parent's responsibility to do everything possible to help nurture and develop Christian faith, to have that child embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you boil it down, there's really only three things parents can do. Teach, model, and pray. Parents need to know the gospel. We need to know it for our own hearts first if we have any hope to teach it to our children. And as the principle goes, it's more caught than taught. We have to model the gospel and not expect our children to embrace the gospel if we're living lives of hypocrisy and not seeking to live humbly before our God by the gospel of grace. And ultimately, we must pray. We cannot force it upon our children. We cannot dictate what they will do or believe, but we ultimately trust them into the hands of Almighty God, knowing that he loves them more than we do. So how do we do that? Impact our children for Christ. I think our culture, and even the church culture, is inundated with all kinds of parenting resources that at the end of the day are works-oriented and just legalistic and not Christ-centered. There are many instructions in our culture today that only aim at outward conformity but miss the heart, raising up behaviors but not true believers, developing children that are professors of faith but not true possessors of faith. And I think the real challenge for Christian parenting is getting to the heart, as Dr. Paul Tripp impressed upon us this weekend. We have to get beneath the surface to the heart level. Do not be satisfied with a child who merely conforms outwardly, who merely puts on the appearance of living faith, but inwardly is resisting and looking for the first chance to rebel. The gospel calls us to confront to expose our children's sin and to help them nurture a repentant spirit. This past year, we've had the privilege of hosting a girl from China in our home, a 10th grader at Veritas Academy. 
And uh, I, would say, I would characterize the first few months of her time with us this way. I would say that the males in our home were only vaguely aware of a new visitor in our home. But the females were very aware of her presence in our home. And uh, our guest, Lisa, the first few months, was desperately homesick, missing her mother dreadfully. And consequently, she clung to my wife a lot and really sought my wife's attention and affection. That proved a challenge for our daughter. It was very hard for, for Marie in those first few months. And in her own jealousy, did act out in sinful in selfish ways. And that posed a challenge for my wife and I. How do, we, how do we deal with this? Do we confront it? Do we punish it? Do we just suppress it? But we engaged our daughter who opened her heart to us, who shared with us things that were vital for us to understand, to know her heart, to listen to her, to understand her. And she graciously let us understand the desires of her heart and also expose our own weaknesses and failings that needed the grace of Christ. And as we talked, we prayed through it, a beautiful thing happened. As both Marie and Lisa showed each other kindness and did good and loving things towards one another. And sometime between the holidays, it was very evident that they had formed a fast friendship and treated each other in sister-like manner. I commend my daughter. I commend my wife for engaging with our daughter in a way that helped reveal the heart. But you know, what we've learned as parents is that the gospel is not only about helping our children to see their sin. It helps us to see our sin as well. And it's vitally important for parents to help their own children see how mommy and daddy need a savior. Back in September, I had finished a kitchen tile flooring project. At one one point, my wife's perfectionism got the best of her. And she criticized some flaws that she observed in a manner that was disrespectful. And really, before I had a chance to respond, my daughter confronted her. And Marie, in a loving way, rebuked her own mother. And Stacy didn't like that at first being rebuked by her own daughter. But, but then Stacy realized that not only was our daughter right, but this was a blessing from God, an opportunity for Stacy to be confronted, to confess her sin, and to be led to repentance by the sincerity and boldness of a child. You see, in that moment, our daughter demonstrated the power of the gospel to even confront one in authority over her. And also demonstrated, my wife helped demonstrate the power of the gospel to be one so secure in Christ, to be confronted, to be able to receive loving rebuke from a family member under one's authority. I might add that fixing the floor was fairly simple and not that big of a deal. And I did get permission from my wife to share that story. And in fact, I only got permission for her, I, I was encouraged and exhorted by her to share that with you to help us all understand how much we need the gospel to penetrate and to be pervasive in our homes. That surely we are all accountable before God. And that even our children can help us see our need for Christ. And so our children need 
to see. That mommy and daddy need Jesus. They need to see that the gospel is real. And that it has power to transform us. I need the gospel on a regular basis to deal with my irritability. My impatience with my children, it's a regular thing for me to have to confess my own harshness and sinful anger towards them. And what the gospel does is it helps us to tear down the false altars and the idols that we regularly erect and the patterns of our home that need regular exposure and tearing down. That God might be honored, that we might have true peace and reconciliation in our homes. Perhaps you have children in your home. And as you wrestle with this message, you may be thinking about what does the gospel look like in your home? Is it leading you to regularly confess your sins to your spouse and to your own children? Or perhaps your children are grown. Perhaps your children are raised and they're adults. Perhaps there are things that you as an older parent might go back to an adult child to confess to humble yourself. Or if you can't think of anything specific, to be courageous enough to ask an adult child, are there things that I need to confess and acknowledge to you? Are there wounds? Are there resentments that need the healing balm of Christ? Please give me an opportunity to confess that, to repent, to be reconciled with you and to glorify the God of grace who wants to heal us and to renew us. Your children will not always meet our expectations. And parents will not always meet the expectations of their own children. It was just a few weeks ago that um, some of our older children, in exploring our new neighborhood, realized that they could walk from our home to the Turkey Hill to buy something yummy. And so they made the walk down to that convenience store, and about halfway there realized that their youngest sibling was following them on his tricycle. And they turned around, and they exhorted him to go back home. And he turned around and began going back home. But our children neglected to observe that he was quite far from home at that point and perhaps didn't know the way. And so later on, when our children did arrive at home, I was away and my wife was, was home. When she realized what had happened, which then when the kids came home, they asked, well, well, where is Justice? And my wife honestly did not know, having been distracted by the telephone at that time. And so ensued another, another search. My wife had to get in the car and drive around the neighborhood, and thankfully, by God's grace, found him pretty quickly under the care of some loving neighbors. Stacy had regretted some things she had said to our children. But she also, as we conferred about it, had to address the fact that they had not met our expectations. And we had to correct that. And we also had to confess our own sin in the way we communicated it initially. Our children don't always meet our expectations. Nor we, they. But there is one son who did completely fulfill his father's expectations. And there is one father who has the full right to expect it. You know, I I can't imagine anything more painful than the prospect of losing a child. And yet we have a God, a father, who lost his only son 
that he might find you and I. We have a God and a Father who loves our children more than we do. Trust him. Trust him with your children. Trust him with your heart. And be reminded of his goodness and his faithfulness as you engage in the daunting, sometimes overwhelming task of raising children. My wife and I laugh at God's sense of humor. We sometimes think he's given us seven children because we're so selfish. And our children are a constant reminder, pricking away at our own selfishness. And the task of dying to self is exhausting, and yet it is good. And for the weary parent, let me encourage you to remember that God's grace and love is sufficient for you. He will enable you and equip you as you trust him, as you abide in him, and as you offer up your children into his hands. They they might live for his praise and his glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness and goodness to us. We thank you for the gift of children and the awesome responsibility of parenting. I pray for parents in here that we would increasingly learn to die to self, that we would increasingly learn to trust you, to abide in Christ, that we could model the gospel for our children. And we pray for our little ones that that their hearts would be tender to receive the message of Christ found in the gospel of God's grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.